you just pray as we just look at um, God's word together for a few minutes? Father God, we just want to thank you this morning that we can just come into this place, that Lord, um, you accept us, Lord, wherever we are. Lord, our starting point, Father, is uh, there's no starting point too far back that you don't love each one of us, Lord, and we thank you for that. And we thank you that we're, there's real confidence uh, that we can just come to you. And Father, we think of that reading that just speaks of what we were, how we were broken away from you, Lord, and and Lord, in the wrong relationship with you, Lord, that, that punishment for our sin being on our shoulders, yet in Christ, Lord, we have moved from the kingdom of darkness into your kingdom of light. And we thank you for that hope that we have only in him. And just now, Lord, if you look at these, uh, this topic we've got prepared for this morning, we pray that you'd remind us of the power of your gospel, that the hope that is only found in Jesus Christ, that everything else is secondary, and he is the one we need. Lord, be with us, we pray. And we do pray for our children, our young people, uh, over in Excite next door. We pray you bless those who are looking after them. May they have a great time together, may they laugh and form good friendships. But Lord, may they think of you and may they grow in faith as well. So Lord, be with us and may the same thing happen to us as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Fun during the sermon. Anyway, okay. So it's, uh, we're going to look at, um, well, Ian's reading will come up at some point. Um, but we're just going to... Um, we've been talking about freedom in Christ, um, I'm sure you all um, remember, but we've been thinking about the freedom we had in Jesus Christ, and we thought we'd just uh, take a slight different track. Is this, in the, is this necessary? Um, sorry, is, it, is, I'll just move, is that right? Is that right to do that? Is that okay? I just can't, I couldn't see Tim. I was very concerned. <laughs> and Tim looks now very concerned that he can see me. But um, yeah, I like to glance, he encourages me. I look at Tim, I think oh, <laughs> everything is well. Anyway, um, sorry. Where was I? So we, we, we thought, um, having done that, we thought it would be really good just for a couple of weeks leading up to Easter to uh, take a, an issue that's in the news maybe, something that's contemporary, and then try and sort of expand it and think of what the issues are behind it and then just apply the Bible to it. Because the faith we have isn't just locked away in church on a Sunday morning. The, the Bible we read, the God we believe in is involved in every area of life and he has things to say in every situation, every issue and every tragedy God can speak life into it. And often Christians withdraw into their churches and get very cross about the color of paint on walls and things like that and what sort of chairs they should have when actually we should be applying God's word into every and any situation that the world faces. Um, and so that was the plan. And, uh, and so we sort of did that. And Tuesday morning I thought, now what should we speak on? What should I speak on Sunday morning? And, uh, and I thought, well, I could talk about Brexit. Shh. Shh. Easy. Easy. Or I should say, order, order. No. Um, could talk about the tragic rise in knife crime. And I don't know about you, and it's not just one person over any others, but the tragic death of Jodie Chesney a few weeks ago um, over near Romford, uh, seemingly extremely unprovoked, uh, I think is awful. Uh, and it's not just her. There, there are hundreds, thousands of people who had their lives robbed could talk about that. could talk about the rise of social media and how many of our young people's whole outlook on life is being now redefined by what they watch on Instagram and YouTube and most adults are blissfully unaware of what actually goes on into our kids' heads. could talk about suicide amongst our young, our young men particularly. could talk about poverty, could talk about mental health issues. They're already all there and, uh, and, and I thought, well, that's too much on one Sunday morning for all of us. I thought this morning we might take a step back and actually rather than focus on one of them we might just see all of them perhaps as a symptom of a broken society as symptoms of a broken society and no one would probably disagree with me that the 21st century britain is broken that society that we live in is broken and that these are symptoms of broken society and i went on the bbc website this morning and, uh, and these are oh, very small sorry um 
And just already, just, with them, just glancing across that, and this is just for the UK, and these are the ones that the BBC have chosen to flag up. There are more. If you were to go to a London page, there was a, another, another two headings about young men that have been killed uh, by knife attacks. But we've got this poor guy who used to be on Love Island, who I, I think may have taken his own life. We've got the Brexit fiasco. And then lots of other things, division among, with the United Kingdom and the threat of another in referendum for Scottish independence. I make no comment on any of that. Sorry. This is the problem with the mic so close to my face. Anyway. Um, I can talk about my anger at the front. Um, but no one would deny that there is brokenness in 21st century Britain. And I don't know about you, but I think we tend to respond to the things that happen. They come up, don't they? They, they are plastered all over the news. And maybe you respond to those things. Maybe you see another knife attack and you have a sense of anger about it. I know I do. When I heard of that poor girl knifed in the back, seemingly for no reason other than a, a pure and simple unprovoked attack, I felt cross or angry. How can this possibly go on in Britain? Uh, maybe we feel a sense of sadness. Maybe we, our hearts are broken. We see the way the world is and we think, why, Lord? Why do people have to hurt each other? And I know for me, I've mentioned the, uh, the office buildings that are being con converted into homes for people over in Harlow, over Harlow is being uh, given all these people from different boroughs because they're being booted out of them, and I can say nothing good about it. Um, they're being given small rooms to live in, uh, with often vulnerable people, with dangerous people. And uh, every time I pass uh, one, it makes me sad. I just want to cry because I think I get to go home to a lovely house in my nice car and my nice polished life. And, and it upsets me. And it, so there's a sense of sadness when we see the brokenness of the world. We can feel fear when we're confronted with the brokenness in our society. Think of all the stuff around Brexit. Yes, I'm going to mention it two or three times. And we're frightened. We're frightened of what will happen to our finances. We're frightened of what will ha happen to our society and our social cohesion. Or maybe as well, when we find these things and we see the brokenness of our world, we hide. I think a lot of people's uh, worldview just shrinks. So they perhaps think of work and fun and home. And that's it. And I'm not going to think about anything else because it's just too scary and I'm going to hide from it. And actually that way of approaching a broken society is having a devastating effect on our children and our young people. For the first time in human history, our current bunch of young people spend more time indoors than out. They reckon, they call them the indoor generation. They spend 90% of their time or thereabouts indoors, accessing life virtually, than being outside. Because we are slowly hiding from what's going on around us. And so we question, we say things like, well, can anything be done? Can society be rescued? Why do these things happen? Why does society fall apart? Why do people hurt each other? And today I want to suggest, whilst there are many reasons why society breaks, I want to just give three things, three reasons, three things that seem to cause real division and real hurt in our society. And we are going somewhere with this, by the way. This isn't just me spouting my views on what's broken with the world. We are going somewhere good at the end of it. But there are three things that seem to cause division in society. And the first one is tribalism. It's a very popular word at the moment, tribalism. And the idea that human beings seem to have this inbuilt tendency to group together with people who are like them. So we find people that agree with us and we spend most of our time with them all agreeing with each other, which is brilliant, isn't it? And for most of that, it's quite harmless. Um, you know, it's, you go to concerts with people that like the same taste in music as you, have the same kinds of uh, agreements with you in terms of music. Obviously, if you're my age, you like Blur, um, mid-90s Britpop. If you don't, shame on you. Um, maybe you associate with people that like the same kind of literature as you. Um, or maybe sport as well. Some people um, like to group around a good football team. Others are lost, um, Harry. Um, 
and other people that support Arsenal. So there's that sense of people grouped together around things that are harmless, even age. Uh, we have a Hades Centre in Sorbridge. So those who are over 55 group together and they spend time together. You have youth clubs for people under the age of 18 and that's all okay. That's all pretty harmless. However, human beings can group together, tribe together if you like, around negative ideologies that aren't for the good of society but for its ill. And when we do that, when we group together around something negative with people who are negative and angry like we are, what tends to happen then is we have this mindset in our little social group where we're the only ones who are right and everybody else is wrong. And you see it in different parts of human history, and I won't name any because that's not what this is about. But you have this social grouping where we tell each other what we want to hear. And I've got this question, there's the answer. We all agree with each other, and then everybody else is wrong. And the problem is that that mindset taken to its logical conclusion leads to violence and hate and discrimination. And you look at things like terrorism uh, in all its forms, and then just recently over in New Zealand, an ideology that says everybody else is my enemy and should be attacked. And so that tribalism fragments society. You see it in gang culture in our inner cities, but not just in our inner cities, in a lot of our cities. You see it in politics, that tribing with party lines only. We see it in all the Brexit debates. When they list who voted where, we see the colour breakdown. And I'm not sure that's healthy necessarily but in terms of various parties. And we saw that tribalism with the Brexit vote, didn't we? That idea that we're the right ones and they're the wrong ones. You cast your minds back to two years ago when the uh, things scrolled at the bottom on that fateful, uh, on, that, on that Friday morning, shall I say, that important Friday morning, when it said Britain votes to leave the EU. And everyone thought, wow, this is going to be intense from now on, isn't it? But Britain divided into two groups in a second, the leavers and the remainers. And boy, were we nasty to each other. And boy, were we horrible to each other. And boy, did we vilify each other. And boy, did we say, everyone not in this particular camp is a scumbag and a terrible human being. And everyone not in my group is a scumbag and a terrible human being. Because they don't agree with me and see the world, I see it. They're wrong. They're all wrong. This generic language comes out. They all, they all, they all think. And that's the start of tribalism. And it is quite dangerous. It is quite dangerous. And we see it. And even Christians, I'm ashamed to say, even some of my brothers and sisters have written things on Facebook about Brexit that I think they probably would never say at someone's face. And that's not right. But when we group and we tribe and we divide up, society is affected. And the people that get affected the most are the broken. In Luke chapter 7, there's a story of a, a woman that goes to where Jesus is. Jesus is having dinner at a Pharisee's house. Now, Pharisees were a social grouping, a religious social grouping, and they felt that they were the best ones. They had all the spiritual answers. They were the most spiritual, the most godly. Everybody else was a sinner and under God's wrath, and God didn't like them. He only really liked us. And what happened was, in Jesus' day, there were all these various social tribes and groups. And this woman comes into where Jesus is having dinner with this Pharisee. And we read this. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life. That's probably a sexual sin, by the way. That's kind of slang for sexual sin. So she'd have had a terrible reputation locally. And so she comes into this house where Jesus is. And he says, well, as Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair kissed them and poured perfume on them. A beautiful act of gratitude. Jesus had shown love and forgiveness for the things she'd done that she shouldn't, for the life that she'd been living. 
Yet the reaction from the Pharisees shows that tribalism. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. In other words, she's not in our club. Therefore, she's our enemy and she's dirty. And we don't associate with people like that. We put them at arm's length. And I suspect the whole town did. But what did Jesus do? He tells a story about forgiveness. Who has been forgiven little loves little. Who has been forgiven much loves much. And he turns to the woman at the end in verse 48. He says, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus cut across that tribalism and that grouping of social classes and individuals. That destroys society when we withdraw into our various social groups and begin to say them lot those others are the bad ones we're the good ones and as christians we need to be very careful that we hold on to our doctrine and keep that sacred but don't become a social group that hates everybody and lots of christians have done that in the past second thing that breaks society is individualism that idea that when when i become the focus of my life and we've seen in the west a real rise haven't we of phrases like me time people say i'm having some me time not quite sure what that actually means but people speak of now of doing what makes them happy i'm living my life i'm being me who i am it's all like this the whole time and the problem with that there's nothing wrong with that on one level but with that rise of self-centeredness comes consumerism and selfishness And it leads to incredible anger among individuals when they don't get what they want and when they don't get what they feel they deserve. And they become very angry. And that individualism is unhealthy in society because it puts my interest above the interest of other people. And you can, you can illustrate the rise of individualism in Britain with, the, uh, with a couple of uh, social media apps and things like that. The first is not a social media app more than uh, a way that we take photographs. You see, years ago, we used to do this. I'm not actually taking photos of you. And then somebody thought, oh, that's a good idea. And then someone thought, that looks stupid. So they began to put makeup on and things like that, everybody. And there was a bit of this. And then now it's like this. You've got to do it downwards, by the way, because you, you, you know, don't do that. You're like a sack of potatoes if you lean forward. So you do that, and then it kind of... Anyway. I've got lots of experience. <laughs> I keep mine for private viewing, obviously. I don't put them on social media. Anyway, but you see it. Uh, and my, my camera, my phone, I'll show you. I, I'm, I'm due an upgrade. I smashed it five days into buying it. I was devastated. It fell out of my pocket when I was dancing in the back garden in my pyjamas, but let's not go there. Anyway. <laughs> I can't even say that's not true now, Sally, because it's actually true. I was doing this, and it slipped out, and it smashed. Anyway, so it was due an, I was due an upgrade. Can you pretend I didn't say that, actually? So. <laughs> you didn't record. Can you delete that, Tim? <laughs> anyway, but so I'm, I'm doing an upgrade on my phone. And, uh, and for the first time, it occurred to me that you can now buy a phone where the front-facing camera is a higher resolution than the back one. I'll let that sink in. It's smashed anyway, isn't it? so it doesn't matter. But there's that self-focus all of a sudden. And that individualism is, is, is there. And actually now the, the most popular app, uh, I think amongst young people, is something called TikTok. And it's not a uh, clock sound, by the way, if you're not into that sort of thing. And I've got a very sh- a short uh, video we can just show you. This is what TikTok essentially does. Every day 
just to be clear, I'm not having that was actually very clever. And I wish I thought of that. That would have scored me many husband points with Andrew if I'd done that. But um, I'm not having to go at TikTok. It actually looks a lot of fun, and there's a lot of clever stuff. A lot of our kids at church who use it. So it, in itself, it's not terrible. But it's just, again, another thing that says you are the star of the show. You are the one in the frame. No one else. There's no background to it. It's you and what you can do and how many followers you can have. And it's all that kind of thing. And in itself, it's not a terrible thing. But it's there, isn't it? And if you were to go on Instagram and an Instagram search at the top of there, I've got it on my phone, I'm not that old. Um, you've got beauty, you've got fitness, you've got all these things that are all about self, 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 self-improvement, self-improvement, self-improvement. And yet when Jesus was on the earth in John chapter 13, just before he was getting ready to go to the cross, um, he was with his disciples at Passover. And it says he gets up, um, let me find it, sorry. So yeah, um, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, so his top half, wrapped a towel around his waist, dressing like a servant, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And so as Jesus, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Savior of the entire world, wasn't self-focused at all. He was the most humble person that's ever lived. And just before he goes to the cross, he washes his disciples' dirty, smelly, dusty feet as a, a reminder to them that they need to do this for each other because Peter's like, you can't do this, this is crazy, you can't touch my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you've got no part of me. And he says, in that case, wash my feet and my hands and my head as well. And, and then Jesus goes on to say that you don't need to have that done. But then he says this, he says, you don't understand what I've done for you. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that's what I am. But now I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet you also should wash one another's feet. I've set an example for you that you should do as I've done for you, that you should be other person focused, a servant to all, not self focused. And individualism destroys our culture because it puts me first and my needs and my desires rather than those who I'm with, who I live with, who I love, who I pass in the street. And the third thing is wrong priorities. A Christian would call this idolatry. When we go after the wrong kind of thing, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, you can't serve two masters. You love one, despise the other. Um, And so actually when we go after the wrong thing as a society, if we promote money or um, whatever it might be, or pleasure, all those kind of things, or career, we go after those things and they're the wrong priority. And that means our society then begins to neglect things like care and uh, sacrifice and going the extra mile and looking after the vulnerable and the needy. We forget those things. We prioritize the wrong thing. And I think you can make a case for that in Britain. So those three things break society, tribalism, individualism, and going after the wrong priorities. And you might ask, okay, that's interesting, but where does that all come from? Why is that a part of our society? Um, Psychologists reckon that every human being has three basic needs. Every human being is asking three basic questions. Now, appear behind me. Three questions every human being asks, whether they verbalize it or not. The first one is, what, who am I? Not what am I. Who am I? The second question is, what am I here for? And the third question is, where do I belong? Who am I? What am I here for? And where do I belong? These are the questions every human being is asking. They may not ask them until they're older because their life is quite happy and they're not thinking about it. But they're asking those questions. Who am I? What am I here for? Where do I belong? In other words, purpose, identity, and attachment. And attachment is a big thing. When a child feels disattached from loved ones and family and friends, they're totally lost in the most scary way. And we can feel that not being attached to things. We're asking those three questions. And actually, if those questions are not answered correctly, 
People, go, people feel lost, and then they go looking for the answers in all the wrong places. And this is dangerous on a societal level. Um, if you, see it, you see it in gang culture, don't you? Young, young men and women, young boys and girls, I should say, more correctly, perhaps having broken homes, or maybe there's trouble at home, maybe there's all sorts of issues, and they join a gang, and that gang acts like a surrogate family. They become the people that define them and protect them, and what happens then is they provide them their identity and their purpose, but it's skewed and it's angry and it's dangerous. And what happens then is that little gang becomes them, they've grouped socially, they're like a tribe, and it's them versus the world, and everybody's their enemy. Everybody, even those who try and help. And they group like that because those questions haven't been answered adequately. So they've gone to the wrong place. This is their fam, this family. And this is who they're with. And it's dangerous. And people, you see it as people engage in all sorts of radically new, uh, various, um, unusual lifestyle choices as people are desperately trying to find the real me. And they'll say, like, this is who I am. I finally found who I am. And then you discover they're trying something else and something else and something else. I'm going to play you a video now, which is very, very unusual. And not one of you, unless you were here at 20 past or saw it already, will know what's coming. But this is a real thing. And this illustrates that people, the lengths people will go to to try and answer the question, who I am. Apart from looking quite a lot of fun, um, you hear what she said. The perfect part of me. The bit, uh, bits about me that I like. And this is what's happening, isn't it? The idea of trying to find who I am, desperately trying to search for the real me, and the lengths people will go. And you can take a suit off, but there are some decisions people make that cannot be reversed as they answer those questions. The point is that these things lead to trouble. They lead to trouble in society when they go to their logical conclusion. Left unanswered, people answer those questions, those three questions, they go back on. Uh, those three questions are answered in the wrong way. If you don't get a correct answer to who I am, individualism takes over because you may as well be you go for the real you search for me make me the priority that question what am i here for if you get that wrong you prioritize the wrong thing how many of our young men are giving up on life and is it partly because they prioritize the wrong thing that guy from love island i'm assuming this is what's happened to him has the world at his feet famous money the guy from the prodigy if you're at my age uh, i was really surprised by that um on tour, writing albums, living the dream, well-liked, cult following, hung himself. You go for the wrong priority. And if you don't know where you belong, you pick the wrong group. And we tribe and we group together. And all of that is bad and causes brokenness at a societal level as more people do it over and over and over again. And so what does the Bible say in all of this? Let's finish with that because that's an important question. We've not asked that yet. Well, the first thing the Bible will tell you about society is that it's always been broken. That's why God so loved the world. That's why he sent his only son. That whoever believes in him doesn't die or perish but has everlasting life. The point is society hasn't got more broken. It's the effect, the fruit of brokenness is perhaps more ripe. But society has always been broken. And for the record, in the 50s and the 40s and the 20s, it wasn't utopia in Britain. And suddenly it's terrible. It's always been broken. There's more opportunity now to uh, engage in brokenness and ruin your life, perhaps, in back in those days. But the Bible's got three answers to those questions. Who am I? What am I here for? Um, if they could just go on, that'd be great. Uh, who am I? What am I here for? Where do I belong? Three answers to the Bible, just as we come to an end. And the first que- answer to that question, what am I? Who am I? is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10, that Enid read us, having been told that we've been saved by grace through Jesus' death on the cross. He's, Paul says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, 
not by works that no one can boast. And he says this, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, who am I? You're God's creation. The Bible says he knit us together in our mother's womb, molecule by molecule, bit by bit. He created every single one of us. We're not here by accident. We're not just our own person. We're God's workmanship. And we're built to do the works of God, the good works of God. That's what we are. That's who we are. We're God's creation. Genesis 1.27 says we're made in the image of God. That's who you are. You're made in God's image. What am I here for? Well, we'd flick over to Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 11. What am I here for? And Paul writes, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of of faith he says i want to know christ yes and to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings and becoming like into his death and to somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead but this that thing i consider everything all the gains i had i now consider loss for christ what am i here for i'm here to know jesus christ i'm here to know god the father through faith in his son the power of the holy spirit that's what we're all here for in the end I'm made by God, made to know God. God. And the final question, where do I belong? In John chapter 14, verses 1 to 6, Jesus says to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you I go there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. So you will be where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Who am I? I'm God's workmanship. What am I here for? To know him as my Lord and my Savior. And where do I belong? I belong in his home, his kingdom that is coming, in his book of life. And so, let's finish. Britain is broken. And it's broken because it turned its back on God. Graham Bailey, who was an elder at my previous church, once said to me that this nation is lost because it no longer has a rock to stand on, that rock being God. Our Christianity is gone. In the book of Judges, it says in the time of the Judges that men and women did what was right in their own eyes and the whole thing was falling apart. Matthew 9, verse 36, Jesus feels sadness over the people he looks at because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And I believe that when they write the history of the UK the social history of the UK, this day will be more significant than we realise at the moment. Because something changed in us when we became the star of the show. But there's a more significant day when God writes the story of this nation. It will be the day we said to him, no thanks. That's when things started to break. And so Christians, our job isn't to copy and be happy like the rest of the world is to take the message of hope to a people who ask that question, who am I? What am I here for? Where do I belong? Every single day. And we must tell them they belong to the King of Kings. Let's pray. 
Father God, Lord, we just lift up these thoughts, Lord, and we lift up our country, Father God. It is heartbreaking, and it does make us cross and angry when we see all the things that go on. Lord, we look at our young people, we look at our older people, we look at our middle-aged people. So many people just don't know what life's all about. And yet, Lord, we've found the hope of Jesus Christ, a hope that goes beyond the grave. And we put our trust in you, Lord, many of us years ago. And, Lord, those questions have been answered, and they've been answered wonderfully at the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. We know who we are. We know what we're here for. We know where we belong. And, Lord, it's life-changing stuff. So, Lord, we plead that you would change our hearts. Make us not individualistic. May we be other person-centered, not just showing love practically, but preaching the gospel. Lord, save our nation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.